0: Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of Man's Model Moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann, and with me is my son, Oscar. Hello. Now, as we start, our listener poll, is there a place in the crowded market for more 28mm skirmish games, is still live on the site. Now, I voted, but so far you listeners out there are all too busy eating turkey, mince pies, getting back to work, which is fair enough, but now we're back to normality. Please take a look at the poll on our blog website, Man's Model Moments, after the show and have your say. Now Oscar is just joining to tell us what we got in our Christmas stockings this time. So Oscar, what have you been up to over Christmas, and what did Santa bring you? Okay, so I, my main gift that I got this year was um, my jacket, Rick's jacket uh, off The Walking Dead. If any of you seen uh, anyone has seen that from season five, he's got a nice leather jacket. I've got one of those, which was probably my main gift, which I was very happy with. Also, on that note, I got a Lucille baseball bat made by my dad who. Very kindly did that. It was really good, actually. Various other bits and bobs, which were really cool. I got a Raza from the TV series Dark Matter, which is the spaceship that they use in it, which is really cool. I don't know. It's, as you get older, you tend to just not need all of the, like, you know, I didn't ask for many fluffy bears this year, as I usually did. <laughs> I got these uh, Zelosians. Zelocians. And I also got some Drop Fleet Commander Shaltari, along with a battleship for them and a battleship for my uh, humans, the UCM. From my side, I had a nice relaxing break. I got a micro Swiss hot end for my 3D printer, which allows me to print in all sorts of new exciting materials, flexible stuff, higher temperature stuff. I got an acoustic shield for my microphone, which I hope everyone can tell from the audio quality of this recording compared to our previous ones. I also got some nice clothes, a periodic table puzzle, Quite interesting, and various other bits and bobs, though nothing directly gaming related. So at this point, Oscar leaves us, and I'm going to go through various predictions and musings on the gaming industry in 2017 based on 2016, and some current trends and indicators. Something which I've also been posting on the blog about, and many of you will have seen that. So 2016 was a pretty bumpy year for a lot of us in the real world, but in the world of gaming, we've had a much better time. The industry is growing fast, and there has probably never been a better time to be a gamer. So let's, with that in mind, have a look into the old crystal ball for 2017. We might as well start as we often do with Games Workshop. Now, Games Workshop uh, managed to, well, let's say... They didn't grow, but they shrank less than in prior years to the tune of a couple of percent. So they've done better than they have been doing. They're still dominating the market. They still have a huge presence. And let's face it, they've started to do things which seem to make a bit more sense than some of the crazy, batshit crazy stuff they've been doing a few years ago. So slowly, the oil tanker that is Games Workshop does seem to be inexorably turning more into the current trend of the industry. Now, they've also got a huge machine to keep afloat, so they're not going to be able to turn on a dime. They're not going to be able to suddenly revolutionise what they do with all their shops, because that's a huge cost investment. And at the end of the day, you've got shareholders to please, so that's understandable. But they are actually doing things which people want to see, and I think that's the important thing, because Games Workshop, for a long time, we're doing stuff where it's just bigger and bigger stuff. You know, guns on guns and guns. We've seen it a lot of times. We still see it. It's not a current trend that's disappeared entirely. But they are doing better stuff, I'd say. Fringe stuff. Things like Blood Bowl. You know, Blood Bowl is a pretty fringe game. There are competitors to it as well, because when Games Workshop dropped the ball on a lot of these things, other people are there to take up the slack. But it does seem to be listening a bit more. It's doing more gamer-related stuff. And I would love to see Games Workshop be what it was maybe 12 years ago or so, when it had its website, which had all these cool things on about how to make terrain, you know, not directly related to here's some stuff that you have to buy. It still has to really get its act together with its digital presence. Because it does lots of digital stuff, it does lots of digital codexes, um, it's got a big painting guide online, and all these kinds of things which you can pay for, paid for content. But in terms of its its actual website, the kind of presence it has in social media, it needs to get better at that. And there are small signs of us seeing that, but it needs to carry on that trend. So that's certainly one thing that Games Workshop can improve. And we're starting to see little bits of movement in that direction. So maybe Games Workshop, the great leviathan of gaming, is actually starting to recognise what it's done wrong in the past and try and change some of that behaviour. We still see models covered in skulls. We still see models horribly over-fetished. But there's also other stuff out there which is good. I mean, they still make some very, very nice models. The quality of their casting isn't really to be faulted, fine cast uh, anomalies aside. So there's a lot. Going for Games Workshop, they just need to do more of that stuff and less of the horrible baby dwarves with great big runes carved into them. It's not what people want. And hopefully their sales figures are telling them that. And if you're somebody who likes big baby dwarves with big runes carved into them, please stop. Stop, for the love of God. (laughs) Make it better for the rest of us. We want to see dwarves that look like dwarves. You know, we all have an image of what dwarves are like and it's kind of exactly what it is from Lord of the Rings. Um, that's the trope, I guess, that we're all used to, and that's what we want to see. So don't support those horrible baby things. Okay, so just to sort of put a counter to that, let's move on to Mantic. Mantic are a company that was set up by an ex-Games Workshop employee, an ex-Games Workshop director. So he knows the company, he understands its faults, and obviously disenfranchised with the way it was going, decided, I can do this better, and set up his own company. Now, Mantic have several modus operandi, shall I say. They do a lot of Kickstarter. They use that to fund a lot of their projects. They're getting better in their sculpting. I think originally some of their sculpts were meh, too horrible. Um, Some of the sculpts are really nice now. Some of them are still a bit off. I think some of their... Especially human sculpting leaves a bit to be desired sometimes. Individual figures tend to be good, but then when you get the ranks of stuff, it's kind of like they didn't have quite enough time to finish stuff. So and I think in my blog, I give an example of that with sort of frog face boy, you know, very unfortunate <laughs> village idiot looking kind of character uh, and not particularly appealing, you know, not something that makes you want to buy the stuff. So Mantic are an interesting company because they've been they picked up a lot of franchises now. You know, they picked up I think a lot of business from when Games Workshop killed the Warhammer world with Age of Sigmar. A lot of the players that were still playing Warhammer and okay, admittedly they may not have been buying a whole lot of stuff, but they went to Mantic because Mantic are offering free game rules online which is a great thing, huge industry trend over the past few years. So you can pick up your old Warhammer armies and just start playing straight away with their rules, and then you can start filling in with their stuff, right? That's their, their plan, and, you know, it seems to be working. They're also picking up things like the Walking Dead franchise. You know, they've got big enough to be noticed, and they're courting the right people to be able to pick up these franchises. Uh, we also see BBC game in the uh, offing with Doctor Who. Goodness knows how that'll turn out. But so they are picking up these these franchises. So Mantic, although they say, well, Kickstarter funds us, we wouldn't work without Kickstarter or whatever you think of that, which is kind of a cheat in a way, but it does seem to work. They get good followings, they get very successful Kickstarters and they do deliver on them. So Mantic's an interesting company because it's sort of like a games workshop light. It's almost games workshop how you'd like it to be done, but perhaps not quite as well in terms of the actual execution. So Games Workshop has that big Leviathan industry stand, you know, gold standard production facilities. They have great sculptors. Even if they sculpt some stupid stuff, they sculpt it very nicely. Whereas Mantic is almost like they use that horrible, horrible Rustic stuff, which I'm glad they're moving away from into proper injection molded plastic, because Rustic sucks big time. I loathe it with a passion. Especially if you don't know, because they don't actually say really up front, very visibly, hey, this stuff's rustic and you need super glue. You know, plastic glue will not cut it on this stuff because it's almost like the plastic glue's almost working and you sit there for ages and it kind of sets, you think, and then you touch it and a foot breaks off. You have to use super glue. And it's just just horrible stuff. It's deceptive. So I'm glad they're moving away from that. And the single characters, I think, are cast in pewter. They're not as expensive as Games Workshops, which are cast in plastic. So they've got a lot going for them. I think they're on the up. And certainly their sculpts are getting better, uh, which they, let's face it, they needed to. So Mantic, a company I think that maybe one, two years ago was kind of almost like a Me Too company. Games Workshop have gifted them a lot of market, I think, a lot of market share by giving them the the Warhammer world effectively in the old style uh, rather than the Sigmarine style. I think Games Workshop are realising that... Uh, just to go back to them for a second, maybe the 12-year-old marketplace that they were perhaps investing in previously isn't as lucrative as it was because of all this other stuff that's coming up. And perhaps they actually need to think of the industry a little bit differently. Now, how that will change Mantic's outlook over the coming 12 months will be really interesting to see. Because if Games Workshop adapt to fill the space that Mantic had occupied when Games Workshop moved away from there, where does that leave Mantic? Because as a sort of me-too company, that can be really difficult, right? Suddenly, the big company that they are kind of saying, well, we do all of the nice stuff, we have community events, we engage people, there's forums, there's beta testing, there's free rules. Games Workshop start doing that. It's like, well, yeah, you do that, but I could just go for this like top company doing the same thing, producing really nice models. So unless they really establish some of the brands they've got... Uh, and they are expanding those brands, but for me as Next Games Workshop player, I have no allegiance to Games Workshop whatsoever. I look at it and think, well, I've never been inspired by Mantic's models. Now, I did see some of their new stuff, their um, sort of aquatic army that they're getting for their fantasy game. looks really nice. I'm not a fantasy gamer at all, but I look at that stuff and I think, actually, that that's the kind of thing that could get me into this game. Uh, they've got some nice crab men. They've got these fish dudes. They've got some of the regular sort of Man from Atlantis sort of thing, which is kind of meh, but some really nice stuff. So they're starting to get to that point where they're getting the draw, but whether they will manage to sustain it and bring that through quickly enough to avoid Games Workshop pushing them out of that segment that they've got into will be really interesting to see. So interested in how Mantic will develop over this year. Okay, let's move to Spartan. Now you all know, I used to work with Spartan. I was a volunteer. I wasn't a paid employee. Uh, I directed the Firestorm Armada side of things. So creating rules, uh, stats, direction for Firestorm Armada. And was very frustrated by the lack of input from Spartan's side in terms of wanting to get the, the backstory filled. You know, the fluff, the technology, all of that kind of thing. Now, the focus group was great at, at working out all these things, and we had a very wide, varied, and dispersed focus group across the world. Great for showing different opinions, because what happens in one meta doesn't happen in another. Spartan moved away from that. They're using a very focused, focused focus group. It's just from one area, maybe a couple of other inputs, but much less broad than before. It's being centrally controlled now, um, with one guy kind of heading it up, who used to be in the focus group. is isn't now. They've just had a successful Kickstarter for Dystopian Wars, so one of, the, one of the things that I would worry if I backed it, I didn't, no intention of, would be fulfillment of that game when they sold quite a lot of their top backing pledges in terms of success as well of the kickstarter it wasn't as successful as say mantix kickstarters okay neither in terms of dollars nor in terms of the actual numbers of backers numbers of backers is a more important indicator i think of how successful a kickstarter is because where their pledge levels are varies a lot if you load it towards the high end which i think spartans kind of was kind of distorts things so if you just look at the number of backers the dystopian wars kickstarter had 858 backers compare that to with Mantic Games, who we've just been talking about, their Dreadball 2 Kickstarter had double that. 1684 and that's a pretty niche game, as Dystopian Wars is. It didn't raise double the money, but that's what I was meaning about the high-end kind of distorting things. So Spartan's high-end uh, pledge was £800. Pounds. For £800, pounds, 20 backers actually went in for that, that level. So actually, £16,000, just doing the maths on that, the 20 backers that went for the highest level of pledge, which is 2.5% of the people that backed the Kickstarter, actually funded 12.5% of the total dollars. Now, the worrying part for me, if I was a backer, is I have actually invested £800 and... When you actually look at what you get for that, it's days of design time, designing your own models to be made and then sold. Spartan actually messed up. They originally said you could get royalties on what was sold. That's not allowed by Kickstarter rules. That was withdrawn. And then Spartan also promised that you get two days of design time for your models. So we're looking with the D, with the chief designer. So two days for 20 backers, that's 40 days of design time. That, what impact is that going to have on development of the other game systems? I look at it from looking from Firestorm, from Planetfall and think, well, that means there's 40 days of development time that's not being allocated to the games I'm interested in, not interested in Dystopian Wars. Again, this comes back to some of Spartan's issue with the number of games it tries to support with the very limited um, resources it has. So the Dystopian Wars Kickstarter, although successful, for me actually isn't a positive with with Spartan. It's also something that Neil said he wouldn't do, uh, go to Kickstarter to look at funds, and then he did. You know, Spartan say a lot of stuff that they then don't do. They're showing some fairly limited releases for February The little teaser of the Daedalus station, which we've seen before, and the Fold Space Gates, which we've also seen before. Not something that I would really want. So Spartan are a difficult one for 2017, because I think the Kickstarter goes well, well, that's all fine. I don't think it'll really affect anything. If the Kickstarter goes badly, another broken promise from Spartan, I think, will break uh, most people's faith. Uh, in the company. I'm also, I mean, I'm looking at the forums. The forums are pretty dead. People on Facebook are talking about how the game's wrapping up. It's, it's a great game, don't get me wrong. You know, Firestorm, to a lesser extent, Planet 4, because of the sort of way it was released and the, the updates and the lack of attention that's had over the past probably, well, at least a year, probably longer. But they just need to put the attention in. They just need to pay people the respect of they've had the money for all of these things and just to be left. You know, people don't wait. There's too much out there. We're seeing this. This is exactly the mistake that companies like Games Workshop made. It's just like, don't take note. And saying that you're listening to your customers by doing a two-day survey on a weekend, you know, with a tiny fraction of, of people, that's not listening to your customers. You know, I see recognition of, you know, things from people on the forums. I think Spartan Pay lip service to this. I don't see a real move or change in the company. Um, I think it's very centrally controlled. Well, I know it's very centrally controlled uh, and that's not a good thing for, for any company um, to have that kind of uh, restriction on, on the company. You know, it will restrict the company inevitably. I've been in business for over 20 years. I've uh, just moved into a senior leadership role in a company. It's not like I don't know what I'm talking about in business. I haven't seen successful companies grow in the way that Spartan is structuring itself. Now, maybe it's an anomaly maybe it will, but I don't see good things for Spartan this year. You know, Halo has been likewise quite neglected. I can't see 343 putting up with that. You know, either the dollars will dry up and they'll withdraw their their IP licensing or, you know, they'll push it up some other way. Now, since recording the first segment here, I've actually been banned from the Spartan forums, which is a little bit disappointing, uh, if not unsurprising, because Spartan doesn't seem to like to hear criticism, even if it's constructive criticism, if it's trying to show them how the community would actually like them to behave, and the negative points about their behavior which if they change would actually be a positive for the company you know i would love to see Spartans succeed but i wouldn't like to see them succeed in the company that they're becoming uh, and the kind of behaviors they're exhibiting and the sort of people that they seem to be pushing into those roles seem to have very little tolerance for that which is disappointing because you know the focus group Uh, when I was managing it was a whole pool of opinions. We had a lot of disagreement, which was encouraged because you need to have those different viewpoints to actually get to something which, in the end, is best for everybody. And compromise needs to be had. Not everybody was always happy. Uh, And sometimes you just have to take that on the chin in the same way I think Spartan has to, uh, which is why I think a very centralised generation of rules without that kind of feedback Uh, is a dangerous path. So I'm interested to see what happens for version 3 or version 2.5, whatever they, they end up doing. From what I've seen of the people involved in what they were pushing at the time, uh, it does concern me. But we will see. Um, I will carry on being the same voice of dissent on this podcast on my blog uh, on Facebook uh, that I always have been. i be as critical of Spartan as I am of silly decisions made by other companies like Games Workshop. Aside from any personal elements, I don't want people to think this is some sort of grudge. just want to put that one to bed. I guess obviously it can look like, oh, well, you used to work with them. Now you don't. So it's sour grapes. Absolutely not. At the time when I worked with them, I told Neil about stupid things that I thought he was doing, and things that wouldn't work—they're no different then than they would be now. So actually, me, my involvement doesn't have any bearing on my opinion. Uh, quite the opposite. So my opinion remains the same. (laughs) It's really how Spartan react to it. I think this changed. They seem to be coming quite intractable, which I think is quite a bad position to be in. You know, I know that in the past, Neil has surrounded himself with opinions that tend to concur with his own. He doesn't like to be disagreed with. He doesn't like people giving opinions which are different from his if he can't see a way through to that. So, which I think is a bad thing for any company if you start to get a, a single direction, a single take which isn't really willing to take, you know, very different viewpoints and accept that actually you might be wrong. In the end it's going to do your company no good. But you can only lead a horse to water, uh, which is why again I, I say I don't see particularly great things for Spartan uh, in 2017 and if they don't change, I wonder about the success of their company. Going on from 2017 into 18 and 19, whether it'll ever make it to that kind of 10 year mark. Okay, so on from that rather depressing end to Spartan, let's move on to some of the other companies out there. Let's talk a little bit about Fantasy Flight games. Now, Fantasy Flight obviously have the enormously successful X Wing, they followed that up with Star Wars Armada. They have Imperial Assault, they have role-playing games, they've got pretty much every aspect of the Star Wars universe locked down in some game or other. Board games, you name it, they've got a dice app for their games, all kinds of bits and bobs. They also have Room Wars, um, which is kind of a fantasy type of miniatures game that's uh, coming up soon, and... With Fantasy Flight, the one thing you can be assured of is slick marketing and very clear communication on release dates, really good insight into what's coming up. You can really plan your dollar spend with Fantasy Flight well in advance. There are no sudden surprises, no big disappointments with Fantasy Flight. They're very good at this. They're a very slick corporate machine uh, in the way that they actually produce their goods, they show those to the community, they help build communities. They're kind of Squaring all edges of the circle, as it were. So, Fantasy Flight, I can't see really, unless their upcoming fantasy product is a total flop and loses a massive amount of money, which I don't really see. I can't see how they are not going to carry on with the trend that they've continued for the past few years, really, with the success of X Wing and breaking into the uh, the miniatures gaming market. So, I think good things for Fantasy Flight. What would we like to see from Fantasy Flight? X-Wing, of course, is well established. There's a good tournament circuit. They're releasing the ships from all of the new Star Wars movies. So we see that tie in quite quite strongly. And I think they'll carry on that. doesn't allow for too much in the way of new, exciting stuff that perhaps uh, some people might want. But then there's a lot of stability uh, in that as well. I think they'll probably continue to develop their Armada product uh, a bit more, which is a bit more like the meaty. Uh, product, if you like, compared to X Wing, which, as I've mentioned on various times before, is quite frothy, you know, quite a light, fairly fast-paced, and it's not that it's not tactical. There's a lot of tactics in how you form your uh, deck, what sort of extras you're putting in there, um, but perhaps doesn't have the the granularity and meat actually on the tabletop uh, that some people like, and I think Armada is is pushing that envelope a little bit more. So not much more I can say about Fantasy Flight Games. I think they'll do, do well in 2017 as they have done in 2016 and the years before. So if we stick on the theme of sci-fi, we can look to War games, which is perhaps uh, the biggest equivalent to Spartan I guess that we see is, I think, as most people see, it's a similar sort of size of company. You know, it's UK-based. It has similar products. Very successful Drop Zone Commander. Obviously, they had a big success with the Kickstarter for Drop Fleet Commander. They had a lot of issues with deliveries on some of the Kickstarter options. I think some people still don't have their Kickstarters. But they kept communication, I think, in the main... There are some that haven't and some complaints about some of the communication and the backlog that they've managed to generate in emails, et cetera. Uh, but they do seem to acknowledge that and then deal with that. So there are going to be some disgruntled people out there, undoubtedly, but I don't think they've handled it awfully. I don't think they've handled it as well as they could. Um, so it's somewhere in the middle. I think it, it's not a disaster and it's not um, sort of industry-leading uh, gold standard. But in terms of what they actually delivered, Drop Fleet Commander as a game and as a product is pretty impressive. And from what I've seen, I only see that trend continuing. They recently released the Corvettes for their entire line. So I think they'll continue to build on that strength. We still don't see an awful lot on the Hawk website. They need to sort of... I think they've got a lot of backlog to do. I'm sure it's going to be very, very busy at Hawk HQ. Um, but I think they'll probably... Get people in to do that. I think they'll probably grow over this year, which I think will only strengthen what they're doing. Um, as we see, to see continue to see more uh, releases for them. Expect battle cruisers. Uh, we've already had an FAQ out uh, on the first release. And I'm sure they'll carry on with that kind of um, living rulebook kind of updating FAQ uh, sort of methodology from them. So, Hawk, as I see it, they continue to work on drop fleet commander as well and from what i've seen in terms of kit bashing and stuff because there's plastics involved on both sides it's relatively easy to combine these these kits as well as the aesthetics of them lend themselves that too so i've seen some really nice conversions uh, which have drop zone commander pieces involved in drop fleet commander ships Um, lots of tinkering as well with corvettes Uh, before the official models were released. I'm sure we'll see more of those, as people prefer to have the kit-bashed ones than the um, sort of stock uh, offerings. So it's difficult to see how Hawk um, will really mess it up this year. (laughs) They've got a really fantastic Space Station uh, set, which is out. I think, you know, from what I've seen of Spartan's recent um, Space Station release versus what people are saying about the drop fleet commander one, I've already seen many comments on firestorm um, community groups saying, why would we get this? We'll just get the drop fleet ones and build something and have lots of spare pieces and do other stuff as well. And that's kind of my sentiments with it too. Um, You know, that, Modular space station set that allows you to build essentially whatever you can imagine. I think is a really, really nice release. It's very generic. You can use it in Star Trek. You could use it in Firestorm Armada. You can use it in Drop Fleet. You can use it in Battlefleet Gothic. You could use it for anything you like. Um, you could even use it for buildings, sci-fi buildings um, in whatever sci-fi games you've got so it's a very very broadly applicable set really smart choice i think um, from hawk and again when uh, i did reach out to hawk uh, a little while ago back in june last year i think it was um to come onto the show obviously they just rammed to the gills at that time um still love to get them on the show and uh, get them talking about that um and we'll let you know about that in an, up- an upcoming episode where does that bring us <laughs> So there are a lot of war games companies out there in the world at the moment. I certainly don't intend to, to cover them all on this monologue. But let's just take a look at a couple, a couple that I looked at on the blog. Uh, and I'm going to be saying pretty much the same thing. So Weird Games, W-Y-R-D, for those of you who don't know it, they're the manufacturers of Malifaux. Uh, Malifaux is something of a, I would say, a cult game. It's got quite a, a particular unique flavour. It's pretty highly stylized, I would say. A little bit too much for me particularly, but it's got some really interesting mechanics. It uses cards rather than dice. So I don't also have a local playgroup, so I've never actually got into Malifaux in any way. But from what I see, they're a pretty slick company. You know, they attend the events that I've been to in the past. They've always got people representing them and offering playtests of the games. Um, And it always looks nice. You know, they've got some really nice miniatures and the way they... um, Detail those the way they paint them looks really good. So it's a very sick experience. It's just not. It doesn't fit my particular likes and aesthetics. Really, um, you know, some of the fractions look pretty cool, but especially considering that Brexit has had a massive impact on the value of the pound, it lost 15% of its value effectively. Um, then things which are in dollars, especially kickstarters so they have another kickstarter out there at the moment called the other side and some of those look pretty cool but because it's in dollars it looks pretty expensive so if it's just an exercise to get some more minis um i would rather wait it out wait for them to come out and get the things just that i want Um, i expect it to be successful because Malifaux is, I'm sure they won't mess up the mechanics. I'm sure it'll be based very much on the Malifaux mechanics. Um, so you never know. I often see these box sets at, at shows at special show prices. Might just tempt me to, you know, to get the starter set if I see it at a reasonable price at a show in the future, just to just to see. Especially if it's got cool minis. Even if I don't like the game, got the minis you can use them in other things like um, Strange Aeons, for instance. So. Weird, I think, are going to be occupied with fulfilment of that Kickstarter uh, and expanding their current um, Malifaux range. I don't expect them to suddenly give up on Malifaux. You know, it's been a, a really good, successful product for them. I don't think they would just leave it and abandon it to, to fund their new one. Um, so they're pretty niche. Um, they're pretty slick. Uh, got a good community and following behind them. So I see them carrying on in that vein. Um, I don't think they're going to do anything to, to damage themselves um, short of you know really messing up their Kickstarter, uh, which I'm sure they're not going to do um, I think they're in a pretty good place The other company I want to just talk a little bit about is Warlord Games So Warlord, as I mentioned on the blog have sat under my radar for quite a long time, and it's principally because Oscar doesn't really play World War 2 games, so They, of course, own Bolt Action. Uh, Bolt Action was pretty successful. I'd say Bolt Action and Flames of War are the two World War II games that have really taken off over the past sort of, I don't know, three, four, five years. Um, At a time when, probably if if I wasn't involved with uh, Firestorm and Spartan, I would have probably got into that uh, that reign. You know, and okay, Oscar might not have been playing those games with me, but I would probably be playing at a club, either one of those two. Flames of War or Bolt Action, I don't know, because I haven't actually played either of them, so I can't judge. Um, now, in 2016, towards the tail end of the year, they introduced Conflict 47, which, let's face it, is a very, very smart move. So Conflict 47, um, picking up from, from Dust, which is also a kind of alternate reality um, World War II, 1947-type game, is... Um, Appeals to that that kind of set, Uh, and I know a lot of World War II uh, addicts, myself included, uh, are very keen on that kind of what-if scenario. Um, And it builds on the bolt-action rules. In fact, it basically uses the bolt-action rules um, just with some other little bits in there. Which, again, very smart move because it uses the same models as bolt-action for a great majority, uh, and then it introduces extra units. So you've got some zombie werewolf things on the Nazi side. You've got Tesla tank turrets and stuff, which just pop onto your existing, you know, Sherman holes or Panzer holes or whatever they are. So that's a really, really clever idea, right? So if you've got a friend, so for instance, with me and Oscar, if Oscar's, yeah, I think, you know, fighting Nazi zombies would be cool, um, that's possible. You know, rather than World War II doesn't really interest me, it's boring, it's historical, blah, blah, blah. Ah, zombies, now it is. Um, whereas for somebody like me, I can see both sides of it. Yeah, World War II's cool, the what-if bit might be a bit silly, but yeah, I can tolerate that. And maybe that'll get me into the World War II side, and then I can look at, okay, who do I play this with? Maybe the local group or whatever. So I think it's a very, very smart move. You know, you, there's a player you're effectively thinking you're getting double the bang for your buck, right? Whereas as a company, you're extending and increasing the wallet share you have of a particular player base. So very, very smart by Warlord Games um, to do that. I think one of the question marks that was over the release was why aren't they using the most recent version of the rules? Um, I'm not sure what the reason for that is. I would have thought having uh, one set of rules for Bolt Action, which is the most recent, and then your Conflict 47 rules trailing a, a version behind is a little bit odd because people will have to, you know, it's again that mental shift that they have to have to, to play both games rather than just like, yeah, these are the rules for this. All I need to do is add on these bits, and now I'm playing Conflict 47 rather than there's a slight, you know, back shift to how it used to be played. Um, maybe they'll fix that this year. Uh, maybe the initial. Sort of take on the using the older version of the rules is so that they can adapt uh, the extra bits for the current rule set and let the current rule set reside in the bolt action community a little bit to, to refine any you know clunky bits or whatever before they then do that for conflict 47. I'm not sure. Um, and maybe 2017 is the year that I get into the, the bolt action stroke conflict 47 side of things, maybe. Um They've also, of course, had the gate beyond the gates of Antares for, for quite a while. Uh, I've not seen a lot of it, but I've seen it coming through in a few places, uh, a few shows and stuff. More so than previously, we saw it. Uh, I don't know, a year or a year and a half ago, I expect, and it was pretty uninspiring and a bit flat. Uh, but since then, I think Warlord have put a bit of effort into the game, and it's. But it's pretty difficult to say, without being part of that community that plays it, um, exactly how it's going. Um, but Warlords seem to be sticking at it, and if they've got the determination and prepared to put the money behind it and grow that, then, you know, let's, let's see what happens for this year. They've also got a ton of other 28mm games, um, from lots of historicals uh, to some of the more outlandish sort of things like Project Zed. And the not very well received Terminator Genesis. Uh, they also have um, Doctor Who into the Time Vortex, uh, which is which is coming up. So, given how Terminator Genesis wasn't particularly well received, uh, it'd be interesting to see how they handle the Doctor Who franchise. Um, but certainly, they've you know they picked up that licensing thing. They're getting to that level where they're they're. Seen as a credible partner for this, so again, be interesting to see how that develops over the course of the year and what that actually results in. So, as I mentioned, there's there's lots of other games companies, Um, you know, Steamforge Games, um, they of course produce Guild Ball, uh, which for everybody I've heard the place is a really good game but they're actually <laughs> so they actually went into the Kickstarter world last year and produced Dark Souls so Dark Souls obviously PC game and they're producing a board game based on it it was a massive massive success on Kickstarter and they I think showed the first version of it towards the tail end of last year. Um, and apparently it looks good. It plays well. Uh, we backed it. I'm really looking forward to, to getting hold of that uh, this year. Um, so good things happening at Steamforge Games. and It will be interesting to see how that sort of injection of capital and let's call it influence of visibility actually resolves itself in terms of what the company does after that so I mentioned Kickstarter there and Kickstarter is probably the the biggest elephant in the room in terms of what's happening in the industry at the moment so an awful lot of Kickstarters uh, have been going on in the past year or so uh, and I think a lot more to come now we've funded quite a lot Uh, we've got the Shattered Void dogfighting game by White Dragon Miniatures coming uh, pretty soon uh, we've got, as I mentioned, the Dark Souls game coming from Steamforged. We've got the Cthulhu Wars Onslaught 2 from Peterson Games, which will be a massive crate full of stuff. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. And there's games cropping up all the time on Kickstarter. Now, Kickstarter is a difficult one because for some people I hear, you know, that sort of saturation point of Kickstarter and when you get another Kickstarter with another huge slew of miniatures to paint and get into, and you haven't got the time to play the game and stuff, it sits on the shelf, then maybe you just stop doing Kickstarter. On the other hand, if there's a really, really cool project comes along, then maybe you will, but Mantic have used this for funding quite a few of their recent releases. We've seen Spartan do that. At a time when, are people going to start to become... Jaded with Kickstarter, if companies start moving into that, how's that going to affect their business model? is going to be quite an interesting thing to see through 2017, see how that evolves and whether that does start to affect things. Um, you know, Kickstarter is effectively a pre order system for companies that have the funds to be able to make these games anyway but aren't prepared to take the chance. Um, it's valid, I guess, and it's an interesting way of the market developing. Uh, I don't think it's truly what the intent of Kickstarter was when it was originated, but maybe that's just the evolution of it that we need to see. So Kickstarter is quite an interesting thing. I funded Kickstarters for other things as well. Um, I've got a couple of belts, track belts they're called, which are quite cool. Got a tick watch, a smart watch on Kickstarter, a 3D printer. You know, there's lots of things that you can resolve on Kickstarter that are really cool that you probably wouldn't get any other way. Miniature games, there's a lot of board games which have miniatures. Just funded one recently which I'm intending as a Christmas present for my youngest daughter if it arrives in time. It's supposed to deliver in November, so we'll see. So it's interesting are we getting to that point where people have just had enough or is the upsurge in gaming generally, especially in board games with miniatures, going to sustain that further, and we're gonna see you know even more of these games coming out. I'm not sure I can see people getting into that plateau of I've done enough of these Kickstarters now. And there's not really a game that I would be so interested in seeing hit reality that I'm now going to be prepared to fund on a Kickstarter again. You know, with all the risks it takes. So I could see Kickstarter actually coming down a bit in 2017 uh, as people start to get a bit kickstarted, wary. Especially, I mean, I, I can look at it from my, my own point of view. We funded a lot of Kickstarters. We've got all this stuff to come. As it comes through, how much more stuff do we need? You know, does it just become an obsessive disorder then when we're just collecting stuff? Or am I going to look at it and say, actually, you know, I I should stop now. And I think I've got to that point. I don't see too many things now that I think, yeah, I'd have to kickstart that because I'm going to get this free stuff and this free stuff. It's like, well, actually, is it stuff I'm interested in or is it experiences? And how many people am I going to be able to play this game with? And I think those things are things every gamer should ask themselves and will start to come into the fore much more especially if the some of the bigger games companies start to get their act together people like Games Workshop and they start to do things that we all expect and the availability of high quality products off the shelf in a gaming system that we're all invested in becomes the norm I can see Kickstarter actually shrinking back quite a lot so obviously that has a lot of variables in it we don't know where it's going to go my gut feel is that Kickstarter will tail off a bit and i think that's dependent on how well people like games workshop realize and adapt to the new market situation that they really haven't adapted to for several years so it'll be really interesting to see Really interesting to see. Well, that just about wraps up this episode. My thanks to our listeners out there in the gaming world for tuning in and downloading the show. If you like what we're doing, please leave us feedback on iTunes and send us any comments, queries, or requests through our blog, which you can find through Facebook or on the web by searching for Man's Model Moments. Recently, we got pushed through the 8,000 hits per month range, which I'm really, really appreciative to everybody for. So please get on. Please don't forget our listener poll either. Go ahead to the blog, click the listener poll link, and go ahead and vote. So, signing off from the Hub Systems, it's Alex. And Oscar. We'll see you next time.